Gossip Girls Gen Z Makeover, a scathing fashion podcast about privilege that's taken the internet by storm and is Instagram dying. We're Jasmine and Maggie and you're listening to season three of Culture Club. This is our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet and of course our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunwurrung people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello Jazz, hello listeners. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Hello, it has been one whole month, I think, since we, you know, recorded our one-on-one podcast. We had an interview with Milo, which we hope you enjoyed if you listened to that. But yeah, it is now the middle of July nearly, and we're back for season three. And it's a little bit of a weird one. We expected to record this with you still being in Sydney, but now you're back because of the clusterfuck that is currently happening in Sydney, thinking of everyone who is in Sydney right mm. now, but you managed to escape before the hard border lockdown that is probably coming any day now. How do you feel? What's going on? Can you give us a debrief? Oh, I know. It's been such a roller coaster. So I was meant to be in Sydney for six or seven weeks um, because of work. And then halfway through that trip, um, lockdown happened. Oh my God. Yeah. Sorry. I just like my brain froze because I'm so used to being in lockdown. It feels like normal life. So I was like, Oh, was that a lockdown? Yes, it was. So lockdown happened in Sydney and then everything just kind of started getting much, much worse. So I made the very quick decision just two days ago to come back home to Melbourne. So I am recording live from my bedroom as always. Here is where I'll be for the next two weeks. Hard lockdown. I can't even go outside. Can't even go for a walk. No, that's okay. I'm lucky I have like a small backyard. It doesn't really have any grass, but but like it's nice to get some fresh air. Right. God, that's so intense. I know, but like I'm babied by my mum. As everyone should know by now, I came home and on my bed she's um, like on my blanket she's drawn a love heart and my little sister like made a painting that literally says, welcome home. And then this is a very Asian parent thing, but I think, also universally maybe, um, mum cut up all this nice fruit for me to eat, which is like the biggest symbol of love. That's so cute. Wholesome vibes. Yeah, I'm very glad that you're home. But you said you were on a work trip. People following you on Instagram may know, but can you share your new title, please? Oh, yes. And what you're working on. This baby has entered full-time work for the first time ever, and she is now writer and producer at Refinery29 Australia, which is launching at the end of July. Yay! Thank you. So it's been really exciting um, and really full on, but yeah, can't believe I'm a working girl. No, that's so exciting. So it's been a mixture of like excitement and change, but then also COVID as usual ruining everything. So We love that. What about you? How have you been? What have you been up to? I feel like you've been having a bit of a cozy girl winter. Yeah. I have. I've been trying to spend a lot of time with friends because we just had that lockdown. And as we all know, I was in lockdown for my birthday. Mm. Um, So I think I'm just trying to like make up for the lost time and make sure like 
I'm jam packing everything I can into the weekends and like just living life. We're just out here living life, as Courtney Kardashian says, because you never know, like, as what happened with you, you don't know when it could all change again and you'd have to go back into your bedroom. So, yeah, I went to the NGV today and saw the Monet, like the Impressionists Gallery, um, had some brunch with some girls and yeah, it's been quite a nice winter, which has been good. No, I love the sound of that. Cozy girl winter is so underappreciated. But I will have to say I was wearing T-shirts and singlets in Sydney's winter and I was that annoying gal from Melbourne that just kept commenting about the weather everywhere I went. I'm like, how's this lovely weather, everybody? I'm like, yeah, living it up there. Ever since the trailer and pictures of this show were announced, we have been talking about it, anticipating it, posting every chance we get as soon as we're given a crumb of content. (laughs) And now it's finally here. The Gossip Girl reboot was released last week. What are your initial thoughts? Oh my God, Jazz, I'm so excited to be talking about this with you. So we have actually not debriefed in person or over the phone. Like this is our raw, real, honest thoughts. (laughs) You're getting it delivered live here on Culture Club exclusive. Um, But the thing is, I think we're in the minority. Like we're so excited about this. I think, again, don't know your opinions, Um, but a lot of people kind of don't care about it or are kind of disappointed. There's been a lot of mixed reviews, but you've asked about mine, so here they are. I loved it. Oh, my God. It was one of those shows where, like, after I watched it the next day, I was thinking about it. I don't know why. I just found it so entertaining, and I'm just gripped by it. What about you? I felt a tad underwhelmed, to be honest. I did feel like it was a little bit, how do I say this? A little bit more of a teeny drama. But then again, Mm. the original Gossip Girl was a teen drama. So maybe I'm just getting older. But I did enjoy it without, when I didn't compare it to the original. I am hooked by it. I think that I want to watch it more. So that's a good sign. But it didn't grab me in the way the original Gossip Girls grabbed me. Ooh. I also think with that original Gossip Girl series, I watched it pretty late, um, like in life, only a few years ago. And I did think it took a little while to kind of build up into the Gossip Girl we know and loved was. I like what you just mentioned as well, because it kind of reminded me of this piece I read in The Guardian, and it was by Adrian Horton. I'll read a little bit now. It's worth asking how to judge the revival of a teen show whose flaws were baked into its appeal. The original Gossip Girl, the high society soap about Upper East Side teens, was often ludicrous, poorly acted and gloriously mean. It was also beloved both during its time and in its years on streaming services for its completely absorbing portrait of the ultra-rich, a glamorous recession-era fantasy in which everyone hooks up with everyone in a popularity war mediated by an anonymous blogger. They end kind of scathingly with, that being said, the only real requirement for a show like Gossip Girl is that it is watchable. By that measure, the new Gossip Girl stumbles, but hot drama is hot drama. To quote one anonymous blogger, you know you love it. Though a clumsy homage straining for relevance isn't likely to court a new generation of devotees. 
on Friday night, I watched it. I went to my friend Natalia's house. She was inviting me over for a sleepover, which was very cute. And we made food and stuff. And then I was like, oh my God, we can watch the new Gossip Girl. And she was just like, yeah, sounds good. And then I got there and she's like, I've actually never seen the original Gossip Girl. So she was just watching it with like no context of like Mm. what it was even about. She had like a vague idea it was about rich kids. Um, so that was so fascinating. We watched the reboot together and then I showed her the first two episodes of the original and she said she preferred the original as like a yeah. non-biased thing. Cause I was thinking maybe my nostalgia is playing into it. Like I watched it probably two years after it was released. So I was like 14, 15, like in 2009. So like still in that era. Um, so that was very interesting and she said that she thought the newer version was a lot darker which I agree with Mm. I feel like they were straight in there with like sex drugs like popping pills whereas in the first episode of the original they like maybe smoke a joint and like talk about sex like Blair's still a virgin and like it's a big thing for her um to lose her virginity to Nate um but in the first one there's already like like poly relationships happening or it's being um alluded to so I found that the new one was like much more fast-paced but also is that a result of the current culture like because of social media kids are getting into things younger and younger like for example you'd say pre-teens these days don't have much of a pre-teen phase because they have access to like YouTube makeup tutorials or star bloggers so they can dress and act in ways they're looking at people who are older than them um so maybe the new Gossip Girl reboot is like playing into that idea of younger kids doing more adult things earlier. Oh, so many hot takes. I think I remember reading a study that was like um, our generation, so Gen Z, actually takes less drugs and has less sex, something along those lines than our um, older peers. So potentially, potentially not. I also feel like with shows like Euphoria taking off, I feel like TV shows think that they need to be all like fast paced and like full on to grab, grab attention and be kind of scandalous and wild. Mm, Yeah, Mm. I agree. Because we're in like the um, attention economy, right? So if something doesn't grab you immediately, then you're probably just gonna forget about it which is what I do with a lot of TV shows. You know me, like I barely ever finish TV shows because I just like get bored of them, which is so bad. But yeah, I'm, I am grabbed by this, but I think it is because I want to, I'm not invested in the characters yet for sure. I just want to see how it plays out. I think I'm just so lonely in lockdown. <laughs> but I really just liked it. He's my friend. No, honestly. But okay, I want to go back to this mm-hmm. idea of nostalgia in TV shows. We talk about it a lot when it comes to reboots. But what I love about this, and I think a lot of people will relate to some degree, is like growing up, maybe you fell in love with a lot of fantasy books or you just like fell into these kind of fictional worlds that became your own and you know afterwards you'd imagine maybe like a life in that world or you would think about what the characters are up to now don't know if that's a very Pisces trait but did you have something like that well I did think like that especially because I was sitting next to someone who'd never seen it before so I was kind of filling her in on like the context of Mm. who characters were but I did feel like it was a bit cringe in the first 10 minutes they reference all of the old characters like why don't you just sprinkle that throughout they were like the neat archibalds of the world um but i thought it was sweet that Kristen bell is the same is gossip girl's voice 
So I thought mm. that was a nice touch. They kept that the same, even though her voice has changed a little bit, which probably explains some of the themes of the new one. Um, instead of being an anonymous blog, Gossip Girl is on Instagram. And of course, there are influencers rather than just super rich kids. And it's a more racially and sexually diverse cast, which is great. I found that really refreshing. I really enjoyed that. I actually really like the cast. I went on and like stalked them all on Instagram after I watched the show, which is a very telling sign that I'm invested. Um, yeah, and I hadn't, I didn't know any of the actors or actresses before the show either, apart from Tabby Gevinson. Of course, Rookie Mag's creator and founder, OG Tumblr indie gals. But speaking of the actors, I also struggled with the fact that they were playing people a lot younger than them. So Leighton, Meester and Blake Lively were, were both 2021 20, when they starred as 16-year-olds. Um, some of the cast members are 1920. Is it Audrey, the blonde? Yeah, one? Audrey and Zoya, the the half sister that comes in. Yeah, they're both like nineteen, twenty. Yeah, they're actually teens. But there was one of like the um, main girl Julian's minions, like left hand woman, who I was like, she is definitely like minimum twenty four. You know, you can just tell. I always think mm. like, oh, you don't change that much, but then. I'm like, no, you can tell that they're definitely mid-20s. It is one of the characters, Luna La. She's actually played by a ca- an actor who is 26 years old. So 10 mm. years. And I find it really unbelievable, you know? Yeah. Also, the oh, I don't know. I don't know the actress's name, but she's trans as well, which is cool. Oh, that actress. Yeah. Oh. I like Google because I was like, oh, my God, like 26. It's like old. No, it's not old. That's old for the show. Uh, oh my god! Cancelled. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Also, the main character as well, Jordan, like the head honcho. She's 27. The actress that plays what? her. I know. Wait, 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 wait. Julian Calloway's the actress yes. who plays Julian is 27. Sorry. Yes. See, you could also tell that by her face. I was like yeah. in that scene where it's um. The two sisters at the end of they've had the fashion show, blah, blah, mm. and they're having an argument. I was like looking at her skin and I was like, she looks definitely mid-20s. Like why have they cast her as a 16-year-old? And like they're sitting in bars. And I'm like, that doesn't look too scandalous because they look like they could be in bars. Oh, true. That's, no? That was true. But like, I don't know. I think I'm just so used to having like mid to late 20s people play teenagers mm. kind of. Like apart from – Disney Channel, which at times was also that. Um, I'm kind of used to it. So it didn't really stick out to me. Even Audrey, so the blonde one who's 19, like she looks older. Like I was like, oh, yeah, she could be like 24 or something, Mm -hmm. whatever. Kind of, yeah, I don't know if it was a big deal for me. I think the only thing, though, with the age was, oh, my God. So Zoya, the half-sister, she's supposed to be 14 (laughs) in the show they mentioned it that there was a line in the show where she's like she's like 14 and i had to google it and i was like what do you mean like semester in the first gossip girl jenny and eric are 14 in the first season which i always always remind but um i okay spoiler alert i was getting really mad at the internet because i thought that the whole season came out in one go and the internet was spoiling who gossip girl was for the whole season but it's revealed Mm. in the first basically five minutes mm. we'll turn off if you don't want to hear but the teacher's a gossip girl mm-hmm. and that concept is so crazy to me 
because it is basically teen harassment. Like the plot is that the students are really awful to the teachers and the students are getting teachers fired for like trivial things. So the teachers are going to fight back with Gossip Girl because mm. they learn who like Gossip Girl was from 12 years ago. But I just think it's like teacher harassment. Oh, no, it's so weird. It's <laughs> I found it kind of embarrassing how mm. like fearful they were and how like invested they were um, in taking down this group of teenagers. And, you know, um, if you accidentally like bump into one of them, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me like kiss your shoes or whatever, you know, like that vibe. And I understand that these teens are powerful because of their parents and that they're wealthy and that, yeah, they could get um, them fired from their job. But it was just kind of unbelievable and like weird Mm. speaking of unbelievable what did you think about the references to covid and like wokeness and it was very 2021 yeah i don't know why shows keep doing this i don't mind how gossip girl handled it because it was very slight references that talked about face masks like oh i didn't even see your mouth through wearing a face mask or like zoom calls but i know other shows i'm watching um like this is us their recent season is really heavily based on covid and the bold type also went really hard on like cancel culture and a lot of current affairs i don't know i feel like it's not needed you watch tv Mm. for escapism i agree I actually barely even noticed the references. It wasn't until mm. afterwards that people were talking about the COVID references that I got it. I was thinking, oh, this was filmed in 2019. Um, but it wasn't. It was last <laughs> yeah. year. Yeah. I'm Ooh. overthinking and talking about it. I don't want to like have to watch it when I'm, you know, trying to escape. I found it so funny because a lot of the time uh, reading reviews of the show, people were like, it tries really hard to be relevant, but it's already behind. And I feel like, to no, no one's fault, their fashion felt so 2020, right? Bike shorts and those boots um, and kind of like their oversized sweaters with the collared shirts. Um, and I think that's just an indictment on the, like how fast fashion keeps changing and how trends keep changing that for me that felt kind of last year. Wow, that's so interesting because usually it would be probably like five years, like you mm. would be able to tell a show or like a piece of culture within like three to five years I'd say like I could probably pick clothes from 2017 and be like oh, that's so 2017 16 but that's so scary that even like last year's clothes are already like seen as so 2020 and they're out of date already Ooh, last I fashion I mean this show doesn't shy away from tackling big themes like class and privilege and and whatnot and at times it did feel a bit overly worthy you know I wish it was just more about like sex, drugs, and rich kids. Yeah, like just fashion and general school drama. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to deal with these big world issues. Mm. I wish it would almost just like fess up to being a really bingeable and watchable show. Um, I love this take from Vulture writer Catherine Van Aardendonk. I'll read some now. It is fundamentally hollow at the core, frivolous and frothy, studded with sequins and infidelities and students who lust for their teachers but gay. It seems uneasy without emptiness, but it lacks the desire or capability to backfill everything with earnestness or do-goodery. And some later scenes in the series where it attempts to suddenly find sincerity are among the worst, most cringeworthy parts of the four episodes provided to critics. We're supposed to send the students out of here as Barack Obama's, not Brett Kavanaugh's, Kate says in the premiere. 
The line is meant as an expression of fear for their moral souls, and there's an immediate sense that this is what the new gossip girl thinks it must be, or maybe what it thinks it needs to look like it's trying to be. In practice, it's just more name dropping. It'd be a relief if the show could just admit it. Boom. So with that convo and just the first episode, I am definitely excited to see where it goes. I just don't think that it will have the cultural impact that the original Gossip Girl had. Mm, For sure. But we do have some very juicy tweets and memes about the show over on our Instagram. So check them out and let us know what you think about the series. From one privileged fictional world to a real Upper East Sider, Leandra Medine Cohen, founder of blog-turned-media company Man Repeller, has found herself in hot water once again. Last year, a number of girl boss companies dealt with a racial reckoning after the murder of George Floyd. From the wing's treatment of their BIPOC members to employees at companies including Glossier and Away speaking up against racial discrimination, it seemed the demise of the white girl boss finally got some just dessert. Man Repeller was one of these. However, after dissolving the company, Leandra slinked away into the night and created a fashion-focused newsletter featuring her musings and the writing she became beloved for. And just three weeks ago, it was announced that she is partnering with German clothing brand Clothes on a capsule collection. So things seem to be going okay for Leandra, at least according to her Instagram updates. This week, however, New York-based black fashion designer and host of the Cutting Room Floor podcast, Rachel Armandi, released an episode with an interview with the girl boss herself. The episode is titled The Tanning of America after the book and documentary by Steve Stout, The Tanning of America, How Hip Hop Created a Culture That Rewrote the Rules of the New Economy. So the podcast is a one and a half hour conversation with Leandra and it covers a lot from how last summer's events have affected Leandra, what it's like to be publicly shamed, and one of the most controversial takes that Leandra at 31 years of age, has just realized how rich she actually is. What are your thoughts on this before we get into the meat of it? What an eye-opening episode. My goodness, Leandra did not portray herself in the best light. How did you find this? At first, I was very interested and invested in the conversation but as it went on it felt like she just kept digging herself a hole and the last half an hour my jaw like actually dropped multiple times like I'm not kidding you cannot believe the self-delusion that comes out of her mouth sometimes and the fact that she's saying it to a black woman's face I felt really like uncomfortable with yeah, we'll play a snippet of the conversation here. Exploring and always have been. Like this past summer was like the summer of learning. I remember sitting in the car with AB and my kids thinking to myself like, I did not grow up poor. I like actually grew up rich. And did you think you were rich when you were growing up? No, I thought I was poor. That's what I'm saying. I, and like I looked at AB and I was like, AB, I don't think I was poor. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, no, no, like, I, I thought I was poor. Like, I didn't have anything growing up, but actually I had everything. And you know what else? I bet my mom wasn't poor in Iran. I think she just thinks it in her head, like how I did. 
what I found interesting was before I started listening to the episode, I was like, oh yeah, I know what this is going to be like. It's going to be Leandra fiercely apologizing and telling us about everything she's learned. That was not it. Not at all. And it's also important to note that um, Leandra was given three interviews with Rachel. So, you know, this isn't just like one take off the cuff. Like they were having a private conversation. Leandra asked Rachel to re-record it another two times. And I also remember when, you know, she was accused of racial discrimination last year. She actually said that she was going to a few like racial injustice classes and everything but it seems she's still very far removed from like not reality but like she just doesn't get it Mm. one of the most emotional points i think for me was when the audio engineer sebastian calls rachel to tell her that this has been the hardest episode for him to ever work on and we'll play a little clip now the hardest episode for me to work on I really just cannot even wrap my head around what she's even trying to tell me because in my head I'm like do you not hear yourself I mean my main grievance is that yo she's a a super privileged woman who still doesn't see it that's why I mean as soon as I listened to the first one I was just like no 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 I gotta give Rachel a call (laughs) no like you can't let this woman just get away with saying some of the things that she's saying throughout the whole entire episode it was just like but what about me i went through things i went through things and then you get to the point to where she goes i actually never went through anything my life was great so very confronting but i think that those little additions of talking to the people who accuse leandra of the racial discrimination and the call with Sebastian. It sounds like you're listening to a documentary. It's very mm. like well produced and well layered. So if you're into podcasts in general, like would definitely recommend it. And if you're listening to this and you might not even know who Leandra is, or you never really read Man Repeller, and you're thinking about like, oh, why is this conversation even relevant? Um, Jazz found this great article called "What Leandra Medine Cohen Doesn't Understand." It's not about her, and that is by langa for pop culture website pop dust it reads the cutting room floor exposed the difference between actually experiencing oppression and marginalization and the perception that you have leandra has yet to grasp the concept and that dissonance was at the core of her empire of empowerment a platform which really just masqueraded itself as a celebration of the other while pandering for approval from the mainstream so it's not just about leandra or man repeller It's the culture that sees other as quirky when it's on a white girl, but rejects any deviation that goes too far from the hegemony. And the companies which claim to embrace the other are usually embracing that hegemonic ideal too, not reaching out to embrace the marginalized and oppressed at all. Very well said. And that's what I think this conversation is, is like the... It's like the bigger picture of the girl boss world and the fashion world and the gossip girls of the world in real life who have always had this power and haven't even, they're just so blind to their privilege. Mm. And no matter how many times you sit down with them three times and say, this is what's going on, you get publicly shamed, you have to take racial reckoning classes and after all this time, a year has passed and you still don't even see your privilege, I think is like 
so far gone. I just don't think there's anything, there's any coming back from that. And it's not about canceling someone, but it's just like, she has become an example of this like girl boss hierarchy. The goal of like announcing that on a podcast, you know, it's going to be listened by thousands of people is very brave. Like there's one, there's one thing having your own personal experience and your perception of what your life was. And there's another to like, announce it after you've been like shamed for being racist to a black woman's face and it's just not very yeah there were the parts where I was like oh my gosh I just think that this story is another example of the privilege fallout that is happening because of the crossroads between the latest Black Lives Matter movement and COVID people are getting tired of rich people walking all over them or just not getting it after they've been given chances or benefits of the doubt. And a more local example of this COVID privilege in Australia specifically was, of course, this week when boarders at a prestigious Sydney private Catholic boys' school were given the Pfizer vaccine in quote-unquote error. Yes, literally they gave 163 boys the vaccine by accident. The Indigenous boys at the school were supposed to be vaccinated, but instead all of the 163 boys received their first jab, which we all know it's pretty hard to come by for young people at the moment. So while some takes were saying that we should be happy that more people are vaccinated, that's a good thing, right? But you just can't help but wonder why, like, 163 nurses went vaccinated by error or bus drivers or shopkeepers you know, there's no chance that they would be vaccinated by error. Mm. It is, once again, the private elite Sydney, well, that's generalizing, but a mm. private elite boys clubs, boys schools that are getting the benefits of our society. So relating this back to Leandra, I think people are more angry about it because we're fed up with the class inequities that COVID has brought up and laid bare. Because Leandra was the fashion darling of New York City for a good decade, uh, it has done the rounds in the fashion world and it resulted in a scathing article in New York Magazine style iteration, The Cut, with a title reading, Upper East Sider Realizes She's Privileged. Many of the comments under the cut's Instagram were all very, like, making fun of Leandra. They were old employees being like, lol, or dead. People involved in the fashion world were kind of saying their piece under the comments. But then you found on the cut's website that a lot of the comments Mm. found, once again, publicly shaming and taking down another girl boss to be unhelpful. Did you find that interesting, like the difference between some people being really angry about this and others being like, why are we kind of still talking about her? Or this is like a mean article, like the people are just being mean. It really made me reconsider the reason why I was invested in this. And even though I didn't agree with a lot of the comments, um, I just found it interesting that I think outside the media and fashion world, like one, a lot of people just don't care. They were like, why are we giving time to a woman like this? But they also asked the question, like, why are we even talking about this? Someone said that she's like, lo- she's low hanging fruit, uh, just picking on her for, for, I guess, entertainment's sake. Um, and that really made me think about the fact um, that, to be honest, 
like I saw people screenshot this article, put it on the Instagram story and it was like, oh my God, tea or like <gasps> listening to this. And, and for myself and for many others, this was just piping hot tea. It was pure entertainment for me. And I know that sounds terrible because of all the heartache and pain and actual trauma that her former employees went through. But listening to this for me was just pure entertainment. Like sure, I learned some stuff, but I was consuming this through a voyeuristic, almost schadenfreudic lens. So it begs the question, like, is this doing any good? Are these interviews and these think pieces and articles actually changing the way that we like consume culture or look at companies? Because by shining these celebrities, I don't think we're really making change. I would kind of label this as just woke celebrity gossip. That's such a good way to put it. Woke celebrity gossip. Like it's still at the end of day, drama, tea, gossip, but they're talking about bigger issues. So maybe that makes it more, we can like dissect it a bit more and like spur conversations on like a tree, you know, we keep Mm. building off them like what we do on this podcast. Yeah. I did see some takes that were saying that this podcast was veering into anti-Semitic tropes in the end. Um, The host calls Leandra a Jewish American princess, which is, you know, a stereotype of the rich Jewish person. So, you know, there are merits in both sides. Some people said this might shouldn't have even gone to air really, but... Like, I kind of like that we're kind of on the fence about this. Like, we don't really know how to feel. Mm. So with our takes and consuming this week's fashion world tea and gossip i think it has resulted in many comments and conversations i also don't think this is the end of man repeller employees speaking out which is very interesting one of man repeller's former employees was replying to comments on instagram and said Just want to follow up here and say if everyone really thinks that what was said on this podcast is even a glimmer of the worst that's been said by the woman in question, then you're all sorely mistaken. For those saying, why are we taking up space with this conversation? Please realize that this language in the public sphere, it validates the very real, lived, I'll say it, trauma of the employees, especially that of the women of color who experience the worst from this company. We all live in fear of the repercussions or retribution that could be faced by telling our stories. And even me typing this feels like a risk. But you need to know, this is the tip of the iceberg. So I do think more is going to come out. And in I think Leandra is back in the deep end once more after kind of just, you know, after a year getting out. Um, but this time, the hole feels harder to get out of. Well, 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 time for your first recommendation in about a month. What do you have for us today, Jazz? Staying on the man repeller topic, I read a piece by former man repeller writer Hayley Narman in her newsletter, Maybe Baby, this week. So it's called What's Up With Instagram? And I don't know about you, Mags, but I think there's been more and more conversations lately about Instagram uh-huh. dying. And I think Haley could honestly write an essay about anything and make me feel something. But this was a very interesting look at the social media app. It talks about authenticity and the fact that Haley has stopped sharing her political opinions on her Instagram. I will read a little bit out now. 
Hopefully everyone's not sick of my voice reading out comments this week. (laughs) But Instagram, more than TikTok, is hamstrung by its own goal, to reflect our lives. And so our response to this collective reckoning around its fraudulence has been to invite more aspects of real life into them. More vulnerability, more activism, more real talk. The effect has been surreal. Crying selfies interspersed with face-tuned ones. Public diary entries written beneath aesthetic tablescapes. Political rants next to tagged outfits. Note apps, apologies between party photos. Calls for authenticity from faceless corporations. We all contain multitudes, contradict ourselves, are constantly evolving, but I don't think the mishmash of intention that's become commonplace in our feeds reflects the human conditions as much as our neuroses. And I think it's made online spaces all the more unbearable and barbarous because it's not as authentic as it pretends to be. We're still performing, just more dynamically, in some cases, sneakily, a paradox. My goodness. The way she writes is just so beautiful, I think. Like mm. that reads like a poem and it's just talking mm-hmm. about Instagram, you know. So I'd recommend that. I love her monologue about the current state of social media and I guess the contradictions of our posts because I'm not going to lie, when I hear about like, oh, Instagram is dying, I am like, I just roll my eyes and I'm kind of sick of these conversations and I think I am kind of in the minority there just because I don't know, like I I don't know, I think it's fear because of course a lot of my job relies on Instagram, but also it's just like I don't know, I just get sick of these conversations, but I think she's kind of nailed this on the head. Like I think we all we all know that Instagram authenticity is fake. Um but just I don't know, the way she's laid it out right in front of us is really impactful. And I saw in Sydney on your Instagram that you were reading a lot of books. Uh, You have a book recommendation for us today? Yes, I like that you said a lot of, but it was just me posting the same book on my Instagram (laughs) bloody over and over again. Um, But yes, I cannot stop singing this book's praises. It is called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zorner. So this is now one of my favorite books. I would say definitely in my top five books. And to introduce it, here's a snippet from Michelle herself. Crying in H Mart is a memoir about grief and Korean cooking. It's about losing my mother to an aggressive GI cancer and how I used Korean cooking to navigate my grief and as an alternative type of therapy. So some of you may know Michelle through her music. She she creates music under the pseudonym of Japanese Breakfast. You like her music? I love her music and I didn't connect the dots between her book. I didn't realize she was a writer. Like I just know her from Japanese Breakfast. So what a talented woman. Like so talented. Um, she just reads like a writer. You're like, oh, this is her calling. Like she's so great at it. So I can't believe that, you know, music is her number one thing still. But Anyway, guys, I love this book so much. Like, it's so special. So this is a breathtaking, powerfully intimate and raw memoir that searingly lifts the lid on grief and identity. Through the lens of a mixed-race Korean woman, Michelle is just so honest about the nuances of Asian family dynamics. 
I especially loved the theme of food that pulls the entire book together. It felt so visceral and tangible. It made a lot of sense to have a large chunk of this memoir focused around cooking and food, in my opinion, because it's a language in and of itself in many Asian cultures. I was like nonstop. Okay, I call it nonstop crying without tears. But you know when you're like, like, like like that soul is like, oh, my God. Yeah, my soul was crying throughout this. Um, It's just such a special book. So especially those from like, I don't know how universal the themes are. Um, I'm not even I'm not Korean myself yet. I resonated really a lot with this. Um, I would just I would just really recommend this potentially um, if someone is grieving as well. I think this could be um, like a very therapeutic read. I can't speak for that myself, but I have read a lot of reviews that say that. Wow. I really want to read it now, especially Japanese Breakfast. That album is like all I'm listening to at the moment. So, and I find her songs as well. Like there's such a story to them and you can really get into like the characters and you listening to a story, not just like a pop song about, you know, pop song about nothing. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, So yeah, would definitely love to read that soon. So that's it for our first episode back, season three. It's so nice to chat with you, Mags, in this, you know, environment (laughs) with a microphone in front of us. And I'm so glad to be sharing thoughts. And we want to hear more from you guys as well. Like, we love when you DM us with your thoughts and, like, when you share what you want to hear and comment on our Instagram, (laughs) everything. We love interacting. So please, you know, please talk to us. (laughs) God, we're so lonely. Um, No, this has been so lovely. We hope that you've enjoyed this chat as much as we've loved having it. We will be back next Tuesday, sending you all a lot of love. Bye-bye. Bye.